Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. See, Bill, a croc will grab you, take you down to the bottom of the water and roll you over and over and over till you stop kicking. Then he'll take you away to his meat safe somewhere rock ledge log down under the water and jam you under it tenderize you a bit good eating yeah anyway he wasn't happy with the grip he had on me so he let me go to get a better one and i talked him out of it that's right listeners today we'll be discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1986 fish out of water comedy crocodile dundee starring paul hogan and linda kozlowski directed by peter Feynman. this movie is rated pg-13 with a running time of one hour and 37 minutes This movie was nominated for one Oscar, Best Writing Screenplay, written directly for the screen. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Paul Hogan's hilarious, endearing performance made Crocodile Dundee the biggest box office comedy smash of 1986. Michael J. Crocodile Dundee, Paul Hogan, is a free-spirited Australian who hunts crocodiles with his bare hands, stares down giant water buffaloes, and drinks mere mortals under the table. But he's about to face the ultimate torture test, a trip to New York City. Beautiful and tenacious reporter Sue Charlton, Linda Kozlowski, gets more than just a story as the wonder from down under rocks the Big Apple to its core. Crocodile Dundee. All right, so that was what's on the box. You know, it's funny you started with that opening quote with the crocodile and what it could do to you. And then I read this fish out of water comedy. I'm like, that that didn't seem to match for some reason. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah, you know, and I was tempted to do that opening quote and the entire what's on the box segment in an Australian accent. And I'm glad I didn't because I was trying it before we uh, went online here. And I can't do accents, Bill. I'm terrible. It it sounded like I had some sort of weird Cockney British accent. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, maybe I could try that someday. Work on that. Definitely not the Aussie accent, but yeah, yeah. Got a little dramatic with that opening quote there, but uh, we're going to get into this uh, action comedy from 1986. Yes. So let's move on to our earliest memories. What are some of our earliest memories of Crocodile Dundee? Jason, as always, start us off. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I am positive I saw this in the theater with the fam, and it was definitely a feel-good, feel-good, yes, I said it twice, like just a feel-good comedy. I remember that this was a big hit. I mean, Paul Hogan was an overnight sensation, here in the States at least. This was his time. I remember his charm, his charisma, that weathered tan, the white smile, just that he was the gregarious, fun guy that's everybody's friend is so, so likable. I remember, you know what, Bill Ban, I remember how this movie felt, for better or worse, that it was a representation of Australia and Australians. I mean, I'm, what, 12, 13 years old at the time this comes out. Yeah, I just didn't know much about Australia, nor did I know any Australians. So this was it for me. This was kind of my introduction. And, you know, I I think I've commented on this before, and I don't know what it means or how I feel about it necessarily, but a lot of my education 
as a youth came from watching so many different movies. It's just how it is. It's just part of the culture. So that's somewhat understandable. But to think that all Australians are like Paul Hogan may be uh, misleading, but that's how it was (laughs) in 86 for me, at least. Uh, This, of course, like you mentioned, is one of the classic fish out of water stories. We have also the you know the juxtaposition of the city versus the country, New York City versus the outback, or vice versa. I of course remember the I wrote down it's it's more seducing, but I guess it's hypnotizing. It's the the water buffalo in the middle of the road. Oh yeah, that sequence that's just kind of an iconic scene. It just stood out, and of course the crocodile rescue. We get our hero Dundee rescuing. Uh, Sue, it's a pretty intense sequence. So that stuck with me over the years, for sure. was looking forward to that and how it played today. You know what I remembered was Crocodile Dundee's Aborigine buddy, Nev. I don't know why. He just kind of stuck up for me. He just stuck in my brain. So I, I wrote that down as an early memory. Good old Nev. I remember the music. I actually enjoyed this soundtrack. You know me, big soundtrack guy. I did like that one a lot, too. I like this soundtrack. I like this score little didgeridoo in there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what? I actually looked up a YouTube video about the didgeridoo. I unfortunately didn't get to do a deep dive on it, but I didn't realize it dates back further than 40,000 years. Wow. Uh, it's like, what? Is that right? Did I hear that right? So I love the didgeridoo and like Dundee's theme. Can't skim over the big quote, right? The often quoted, still quoted, and often misquoted that's not a knife. That's a knife. Still, still quoted to this day. Uh, yeah. And speaking of like, I almost slipped into a terrible Aussie accent. And yeah, I just remember everyone doing their worst Aussie accents <laughs> after this oh, yeah. movie came out. That's all you did was quote it and try to uh, mimic Paul Hogan. Again, just he was this immediate star. And I have to talk about Linda Kozlowski. Again, here I'm, you know, coming into my own, into my adolescence. And uh, uh, she is a sexy woman, Linda Kozlowski, playing Sue Charlton, the reporter and female love interest in this film. And uh, yeah, she's great. So there's, you know, there's just one particular, well, there's a couple particular scenes when, you know, she's going to kind of refresh herself in the creek and she's filling the canteen with the water. But then, you know, so she kind of disrobes. And then after that, you know, she's a bit scratched up and Dundee's going to kind of dress her wound. And there's just a couple of scenes there where it's like, yep, that was uh, that was important for me as a young man. Let's just put it that way. There you go. Uh, I just have to. I mean, it's just the and I'm just being honest here, ladies and gentlemen. These are earliest memories of me, but uh, of me, yes, of me and this film. How about you, Bill Bant? What are your earliest memories of Crocodile Dundee? Crocodile in quotes, by the way, Dundee. Yes, that is funny to say Crocodile in quotes because, you know, stepping on the trivia, they mm-hmm. intentionally did that because people thought the movie was going to be about a crocodile. I'm like, come on, man. We're not, uh, it was we're not actually that going stupid. to be about a crocodile named Dundee. And I do remember this movie was huge and we'll get into this in box office. And I probably saw it because it was my freshman year of high school. And I went with my best friend from grade school and um, he ended up going to a different high school than I did. And this is probably one of the last things that we did together before we, you know, you just kind of grew apart and went your separate ways because of school and stuff like that. And we went and saw this It was probably 
still about seven or weeks out that the movie was and it was finally playing at our local theater that was not like a dollar theater but it was cheaper than going to your regular theater you know hey right. we're freshmen in high school so I yeah do we had the same seeing, exact thing yeah so i do remember seeing it with him and yeah like i said that was kind of going back and thinking about that it made me really just think about all the people <laughs> through your lives that you meet and cross paths with and but it is funny because we did finally like get back together like a couple years ago but yeah it's just a long thing i was like wow it's this movie was one of the last things that we did together but even seeing it that far out i mean the theater was still pretty packed yeah it was just interesting same thing with you i didn't know that much about australia and this is really my first look at it wow this is you know really gorgeous country and Sure. Um, just the whole dynamic of here's Sue being in Australia out of her element. And then the second half of the movie, it's, the movie's almost split in half. And then right. you go to it's New two York. fish out of water stories. Basically. Yeah. You think it's just one, but it really is two. Then just watching Dundee go to New York and just really being out of his element. But everything just kind of works out for him, which was just kind of neat. And just seeing his perspective of what we take for granted, which I thought was kind of cool. And the ending scene, everyone just kind of in the theater was almost kind of applauding and laughing when they do the, um, was like the grapevine thing when they're at the yes, absolutely. subway. Yeah. Right. He's the subway station. It's the finale. Yeah. What do you want? He loves you. He loves you. Was, uh, yeah. That was kind of funny. Absolutely. Um, the, the actors that were doing that was a fun scene. So yeah, it, it was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. It was good to go back and revisit. I, ha- I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, it was just kind of fun. It just really made me think about just friends and that just for some reason intersect in your life and how they kind of fall out just because, you know, maybe you work with them and they find a new job or they, you know, I've moved a couple of times. So sure. It just really made me reflect on all that. So it's not just nostalgia for you. It's really uh, has a sentimentality to uh, attached to it. Yeah. That's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. I didn't think about it before until really watching the movie. I was just like, wow, all these people that just kind of lost touch with, cause I'm, you know, it's funny cause we, you know, we have social media for our podcast, but I personally don't have social media. So I don't keep tabs on people through social media. So it's, it's not for me per se, cause I would rather see people or somehow interact with them in person not, Oh, electronically because even like even when you reconnect they'll send you an email and you catch up and then it just falls off again sure yeah that's the reality yeah yeah i hear you hey social media ain't for everybody and it's not healthy for everybody and i understand why some as yourself would want to stay off of it. it's just not your preferred method of communication with other human beings yeah i get it all right so we move on to initial thoughts, whatever some initial thoughts. Let's do it. Let's move on to initial thoughts. All right. Uh, yeah. So I like to start with kind of, you know, let's talk about our main actors just for a moment. We've got Paul Hogan and Linda Kozlowski. And wow, Bill, I didn't realize that Paul Hogan was about 18 years older than Linda Kozlowski at this time. I don't know. I was thinking the same thing looking at him. I thought... I was like, God, is he my age right now in this movie? And mm-hmm. I actually thought uh, Linda was older. And then when I saw how what her age was in the filming, I was kind of surprised by that, too. I thought she was in her early 30s. And oh, yeah, I figured he was about 45. And then I think she was 26. That sounds about look right. 
26. Because it, yeah, it, it, I put down, I was trying to do the math when I was looking them up and doing a bit of research. Yeah, he's either 45, 46, she's 26, 27, regardless. There is an age gap there and he's a bit weathered and it works for his character also. Oh yeah, definitely. He is in, like out in the sun and living in the outback in the bush, etc. But she is doesn't by any means look old she looks wonderful she's an attractive woman but she comes off so much more mature than a 26 or 27 year old correct i also thought she was at least in her 30s just kind of closing that age gap a little bit so paul hogan i just never really knew much about this guy i can't really say i know all that much about him outside of the television and film personality that he is just to go over a little bit of that, he was a versatile actor. Got, and he got his start in Australian television. He had a recurring role in a show called A Current Affair. And there was an expanded version that came out called The Paul Hogan Show in 1973. He had a dramatic role in a, in a critically acclaimed television series called Anzacs in 1985. His work in promoting Australia worldwide, it says here, uh, led to his appointment as Australian of the Year. So besides the Crocodile Dundee films, Hogan was also the executive producer, writer, star of the feature films Almost an Angel in 1990 and then Lightning Jack in 1994, starred in a remake of Flipper and then Floating Away in 98. He was also known and is remembered for uh, his legendary commercials for the Australian Tourist Commission. I do remember these. Absolutely. I know. And I was trying to figure out because I thought I saw they came out before the movie, but I think I always just assumed they came out after the movie because of his popularity. Yeah, I always thought they were after as well. But I think I read that they were actually before. Okay, well, either way, uh, yeah. The commercials, he you know, he always invited us to say good day and come down under so you could slip another shrimp on the Barbie. I, I remember him saying those in those spots. And then uh, later on in the late 1990s and early 2000s, he appeared in commercials for Subaru Outback. I remember that too. Also stepping on the trivia a little bit, they actually gave him Subaru Outback for starring in those commercials. Uh, so he got a car out of it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So just that was just a little bit about him. In 2018, he did a film called The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee. And I watched a tra- the trailer for it where he plays himself. And it looks kind of amusing. John Cleese is in it. Chevy Chase is in it. It's okay. You saw it? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't have any like expectations or high hopes for it, but the trailer made it look pretty funny. And yeah, because like, it's interesting. Oh, okay, this I like the I like the concept because basically it's just everyone just assumes he's really Crocodile Dundee, right? Not and Paul Hogan. So that's kind of how he he's trying to shed that reputation. I yes, guess, like the night before he's supposed to be knighted, right? So yeah, I just thought that was kind of amusing. But yeah, then then moving on to Linda Kozlowski, who plays Sue in this movie. She just doesn't have a long filmography outside of the Crocodile Dundee films. And then she did marry Paul Hogan. They were married from 1990 to 2014. She did something else, which I can't remember now. She studied at Juilliard and had done some Broadway plays. But yeah, I just was looking and, you know, she's known for the three uh, Crocodile Dundee films. She was in Almost an Angel. Also another Paul Hogan vehicle and then she was in village of the damned in 95 with chris that's Reeve. what it was that's what it was yeah so a little bit about her as well so yeah i just initial thoughts man i just thought this was a great way to get the movie started it the intro 
gets right to it. I appreciate it. the movie literally opens with Linda Kozlowski as the reporter for a publication called Newsday. And she's already in Australia. I've I'd forgotten that. She, you can see uh, the Sydney Harbor Bridge outside of her window as she's on the phone with her editor and present love interest, Richard Mason, back in New York. And she's talking about how she had read an article or I don't know if she saw it in the news or on the news, but regarding a local, that being Crocodile Dundee, whom had uh, suffered a crocodile attack, lost his lower half of one of his legs and then dragged himself to safety. And she wants to stick around and interview this guy. And I was like, okay, yeah, we're going right into it. And so she sticks around in Australia and then goes to Walkabout Creek where Michael J. Crocodile Dundee resides and runs the never never safari with his partner wally so yeah i just appreciate the intro i was just man i was like boy that's awesome no wasting time and uh when here's an initial thought bill bant when they're at the walkabout creek i guess it's the saloon and we uh haven't actually seen mick dundee yet we've only been introduced to his partner wally who's a very uh endearing older gentleman he takes Sue into this saloon to meet Crocodile Dundee, but he hasn't arrived yet. They sit down and there on the table, of course, are a couple of Foster's beers. And I've always heard they really don't drink that in Australia. I've heard that too. That's like what you always hear. Yes. And I remember back in the day, I used to enjoy my Foster's oil cans, those giant cans. I like Foster's, but that was like an Americanized version of Australian beer, I guess. Yeah. That's what I'd always heard. So I just thought that was funny. I actually enjoyed this setup. That's just an initial thought when Dundee first shows up. He's just really charming. He's likable. But the fact, like, I do appreciate in the writing, and this is a, is mentioned by Bill early on here, uh, that it is a screenplay by Paul Hogan. I like the introduction, the way that he's so amiable and sociable, yet there are a couple of, like, these nefarious, uh, they're called roo shooters, as in, like, kangaroo poachers in the bar. And they're making offhanded comments that maybe Crocodile Dundee isn't all that he's cracked up to be. And he's actually just a poacher of crocodiles. So it's like, okay, he's charming, but maybe not quite trustworthy. We don't know who this guy is. I like that. And then we have her fish out of water story, that being Sue going in basically a safari with Dundee to investigate what had happened to him supposedly during this crocodile attack and cut to halfway through the movie goes to New York. Now we have the other fish out of water story. Now Dundee's in New York City and he's in being chauffeured in this uh, limo. And we have wonderful Reginald Vell Johnson playing Gus, the chauffeur. Yes. I mean, come on, right, Bill? We, we said oh, this I before know. when he pops up and this is before Die Hard. It's just like, oh, warms my heart. Reginald Vell Johnson. You can't help it. He's so great, man. He's just got that look and that smile. So there is the the mention that 7 million people in New York City, and I immediately was like, well, how many people are there today? And I looked it up. So the population of New York City today is 8.38 million. Little factoid there. Yeah, population growth. It's getting out of control, people. <laughs> but I, there was a funny comment in there, 7 million people. And he's like, all in the city, everybody must be really friendly. So I have to say, this is an initial thought. This was a surprisingly easy watch. For some reason, I did not expect that. I expected it, I'm going to be honest, to be maybe a little bit overly cheesy. That maybe wouldn't hold up. I have not seen this film in a long time. 
I saw it many, many, many times back in the day. Cable rewatch, for sure. Enjoyed it always. I knew all the funny parts. I always looked forward to certain parts, but I didn't know how it was going to hold up. And now I'm watching and I'm like, wow, this thing just cruises. And Bill Bad, for me personally, it's almost too easy. <laughs> it just happens. It's lighthearted. It's got some great one-liners, charm. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I go, okay, great. He gets the girl in the end. I guess that's cool. As I read in a review in the research, it was, I believe, on Wikipedia, there really isn't much relationship conflict or drama. It's just lighthearted fun. So I'll be honest, my overall initial thought here, the watching it now as an adult, I actually really enjoyed the first half more upon this rewatch. It has some nice, subtle, romantic moments. It's just overall a bit more subtle. I mean, it's to be understood, we know that the second half when he's in New York, it's just going to be kind of hitting you over the head with that fish out of water aspect. But in that first half, when they're in the outback and Paul Hogan's in his element as Dundee, his delivery's great. He's authentic. Uh, we watch Sue becoming attracted to him, despite his initial chauvinistic comments. Oh, yeah. Calling her a Sheila. <laughs> but we can sense something building and developing. And then when he goes to New York, what happens is that it's as if their relationship hits reset. And all of a sudden, she's telling Dundee that she's very much in love with Richard Mason, whom is the editor of Newsday, where she works. And they've had an ongoing relationship. And so it was just kind of strange. It's like, oh, okay. So then they have to kind of, you know, start over. She's brought him to New York so that she can continue to interview him or watch his everyday goings on and existing in the city now, because he's never been to a big city and what he gets into will be newsworthy. But it was just interesting how that was different for me. And then this movie just ends too quickly. I'll get into it in later on in one of our other segments. But overall, my initial thought is still a lot of fun. It's really, really easy to watch. And I was just glad that I didn't feel it was over too cheesy in the way that like Paul Hogan was some of these quote unquote, like stereotypical Australian wasn't over the top. And I didn't feel like I was, it was beating me over the head with that too much. He was just subtle and kind of, he's still, he's still, I find Paul Hogan still very winning in this movie. So there's my initial thoughts. How about you, Bill Bant? Yeah. Uh, watching this again, and it's, it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. I think it was surprising in the opening scene when we meet Mick Dundee. Oh, he's kind of an ass in the beginning. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. I don't really remember this. Wow. The reason this whole interview was set up is because I guess they need money and they've done a deal where I think they're going to get paid like $2,500 to do this story. And I'm like, wow, you're really blowing it by being a dick, especially to Sue, because he is, he is a little bit chauvinist in the beginning. And I mean, some of it's probably just the way he was brought up. Okay. I kind of get it. But then, you know, as the movie goes along, you're like, wow, Paul Hogan really turns on the charm and he is really likable. And I think that's probably why I must feel like he's playing himself more than he's playing a character. And I think that's Absolutely. why his yeah. career really was just Crocodile Dundee and maybe right. a handful of other movies that didn't work. And then you get to the end. Oh, it kind of ends. I mean, you're right when you were saying there's really no conflict in this movie. You know, because most movies are a three-act structure. I feel like this one's only two. It really is Correct. just two. I agree. Act one, Australia. Act two, New York. End. 
you mean the second part of the movie it is supposed to be like a love triangle and you meet the three elements but they don't really dive into the three elements like you don't really understand why she does choose him well that's the whole thing and i was i'll just in case listeners i apologize now because this may be redundant because i was going to approach this in the complaints department and or swiss cheese segment because i agree with you what happens is we have a romantic comedy action movie here and there are these standard tropes kind of a formula that these films follow and this film doesn't engage in any of those tropes now that'd be okay if it engaged in some sort of conflict where we see character in relationship development and resolution but this movie skips all of the conflict there is no drama it just goes straight from the beginnings of something the formation of some sort of drama and goes right to the resolution and it just feels like we skipped over a lot and that's all right it's just way too easy yeah i just felt like there was a good 20 minutes missing (laughs) right I'll get into it later. Sorry. Anyway, please That's continue. Okay. Yeah. I, I still found it to be a feel good movie. I still found it to be a fun movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed the music. Um, the bar scene with the transvestite. I was kind of. Uh, right. Yeah. I if have they that made, later too. Yeah. yeah. If, if they made that today, they would definitely have to readdress it. There's a certain word that's used in there. That's a no, no today for sure. Yep. There's a Gaysler. Not, yeah. not cool. I still think you can keep the scene. But yeah, it would definitely have to be changed. I really noticed that that was kind of cringy. But outside of that, I enjoyed going back and, and watching it. But yeah, I was really surprised how the, the movie just kind of resolves itself really fast. And the movie is really rests on Paul Hogan's shoulders. And that's just what was winning the audiences over. I mean, that's why the movie was a hit. It makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our friends over at the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Hey, do you enjoy movies? If so, you're going to want to check out the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. We're inviting you to join us as we dive into beloved movies from 10 years ago and beyond. We cover every genre and every era. The show is fun and personal, but also insightful and informative. The Retro Movie Roundtable is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Please check them out over at the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Now back to our show. All right. um, So do we want to move into favorite scenes and moments? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So what are some of your favorite scenes and moments from Crocodile Dundee? So as I had mentioned, I'm going to say my first favorite scene actually is that opening scene in the Walkabout Creek Saloon. I don't know if that is the name of it, but that's what I'm calling it. And yeah, it's the introduction of Mick, Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. I just love how uh, we have Sue sitting down with Wally at a table having their fosters, and she's waiting for the appearance of Dundee. And all of a sudden, a giant Bowie knife comes flying through the bar and sticks into the bar, and in comes crocodile dundee literally wrestling a crocodile and of course it's just a stuffed crocodile whom dundee lovingly refers to as cyril cyril so it's kind of funny he comes in it's very theatrical and and all the other local customers there are having a good laugh at it and i just like the way it happened because initially right off the bat we find or i at least find paul hogan to be charming Uh, He's introduced to Sue 
and he has a little quip here and there and then immediately just decides to dance with her so they engage in a dance and he's twirling her around and she's trying to ask him a couple of questions but he's being a little dodgy talking around it and then we have a couple of the local poachers hanging out and they're trying to knock him down a notch and he decides to swing around with Sue towards these guys that are talking smack and he decides to knock one of them out real quick which is great just punches him right it's <laughs> great yeah i had no idea back then what a poacher was so that was it took me yeah. a while to figure that out until you got farther in the movie and you just get a sense of place you get a sense of how hogan is liked his how dundee is liked by all here there's a fun thing that goes on with the locals there's a big burly guy named donk there's a challenge that he presents to people he holds a mug a beer on top of his head and he has somebody punch him in the stomach to see if they can knock the beer off the top of his head and of course everybody fails and then after we have dundee kind of being charming and dancing with sue and swinging her around he goes up to donk and says uh, i'll take on that challenge and instead of punching donk he actually just kisses him on the mouth and then donk drops the beer off his head and it's just kind of a, a light-hearted fun moment i'd like that scene it's a good way to introduce Dundee. Again, we don't know who he is. We know already that the story of him and his trials with the crocodile, which Sue is investigating, isn't completely true because his leg is still intact. It hasn't been bitten off, although he has scars from a large bite, which he calls a love bite uh, from the crocodile. It's kind of like, okay, we've got a fun love and character here, but we don't know who he is yet. And we're going to find out. So good introduction. Yes. The story of Dundee was just a little bit exaggerated. Correct. You go to find out that he says he was going fishing, got attacked by a croc, but he was probably poaching. Still got attacked by the croc, did get bit, and he still had to make his way back. Right. Boat was damaged and he was badly hurt. But it's just an exaggerated version of the story that you come to find out. And from a writing perspective, Bill, I know you appreciate this as well. What I like is when a protagonist is introduced and there is a legend attached to that character, something that is making that character seem heroic or putting that character on a pedestal right from the get. So we think that this is somebody who has some sort of impeccable record or reputation and is to be looked up to. And then when you understand that maybe not all of that is true, that maybe there are some chinks in the armor that make this character flawed, and you then immediately want to know, okay, what are this guy's flaws? Or is he lying about some of these things? And why is he lying? Or is he hiding something? Maybe he isn't a good guy at all. I just I like when they kind of present a little mystery with the, the protagonist right from the get. So, Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to my first favorite scene. It's when Sue gets attacked by the crocodile. Sure. Intense. Oh, yeah. So what happens is leading up to that point is, you know, what Jason mentioned with the bar, Dundee's going to take Sue out to show him where he got attacked and basically walk through his story of how he survived. And through the course of this, it's kind of interesting because you're still really trying to find out who Mick Dundee is because he had the scene with the water buffalo and he kind of does this thing where he almost kind of puts it to sleep. But then he's, you know, he's playing these little tricks to make him seem he's a little bit more... Like I said, expanding the legend, which I thought was kind of funny. And they're still having a little back and forth where you kind of see like, yeah, he is a little chauvinist. But at the same time, he does some good things throughout. But at this point, 
you know, he makes a comment that he doesn't think Sue could survive in the outback. And she's like, well, let me prove it to you. So they're like, where's our next destination? I'll go there. I'll meet you and see what happens. So luckily, Mick, keep an eye on her and make sure that nothing does happen. So we get to the scene where she's by this lake and she goes to get some water. And what's crazy about the scene is like so many different things happen in such a small period of time. Like I said, Jason and I were both coming of age at this point. So she, you know, she has a skirt on, she has a scarf on, she takes the scarf off, she takes the, the skirt off and she's wearing this uh, one piece and it's kind of riding up there. So you're like, whoa, nice little body here. So you kind of have that, you know, stirring the loins kind of moment that you're watching. So you're just like, oh, wow. wow. On big, yeah. On the big screen. Stirring the loins. Yes. <laughs> All right. And oh, I love it. I love it, Bill. Keep No, just keep talking, man. Thank this you. is great stuff. And then it throws in a little bit of comedy because here's Crocodile Dundee. He's watching her. He's kind of like, oh, man, she's uh, she is very attractive. And he tries to get a better look and bangs himself in the head. So now a laugh has happened. So now you kind of have like the sexiness. Now there's a, a comedic moment and she goes to get water out of the canteen. And then you get scared shitless because, I mean, I remember jumping in the oh, theater sure. when this happened and most of the people in the theater were jumping too and the crocodile comes up and snags the canteen that she was using to fill and unfortunately the canteen is around her neck so the crocodile is trying to pull her in the water while she's struggling to either get the canteen off her neck or just not get pulled in the water with the crocodile because as you said in the opening quote once the crocodile gets a hold of you it's not trying to eat you. It's just trying to kill you because it's going to save you for a meal later. Right. So there's that initial frightening struggle. So now this is the third emotion that's now happened in the span of two minutes. And now we have Crocodile Dundee come to the rescue where he leaps in with his giant Bowie knife and kills the crocodile. Now we have a moment of tenderness because it's you just saved my life. He has now won her over in a sense. Man, you're jumping from like a sexy moment to comedy to getting your almost crap in your pants to now, oh, a little tender moment. And then comedy again, where he makes the joke. So it's just great in that four minute scene, how many things happen at once. It still surprises you. Great breakdown of that scene kind of runs the gamut of emotions. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. Well, well described. I appreciate that, man. It's a great scene. It is intense. And the music too, that's going like that's when that croc slash alligator is pulling on her. It's scary. It's really scary because you can see it's like, cause you want to be like, just duck down and get the strap off your head. But I'm sure the strength of the crocodile is yanking back, yanking so hard. It would probably be very difficult to get your head out from under the strap. And that thing is huge too. It is edited. Well, that sequence. So it comes off somewhat realistic. You don't feel as if it's just a, a puppet or a fake animatronic alligator or crocodile. Uh, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Uh, before that happens, there's a fun moment that I like a couple of actual fun moments when Wally is basically chauffeuring both Dundee and, or no, well not, I shouldn't say chauffeuring, but sort of he's on the boat with Dundee and Sue as they're going to the drop-off point for uh, Sue and Dundee to do their little safari to go to the location of where Dundee had suffered the attack. And they're getting off the little boat. They're checking the time and Dundee looks at Wally's watch 
real quick and then looks up at the sun and then tells Sue that it's 2.20. And I thought that was really funny because I think, tell me if I'm misreading this, but it seemed as though he's trying to really fulfill that role of, I am a man of of nature and the land and I live off the land and I can tell the time just from looking at the sun and where the sun is placed. But what he does is he cheats. He looks at Wally's watch first while Sue isn't. Yeah. It's a funny moment. And then he looks up at the sun and he goes, Oh yeah. two twenty. And then she happens to look at her watch and his watch is like, wow, how did he know that? Yeah. I think that's one of those when I first saw, I did not catch that. And then later viewings, I was like, oh, he's looking at Wally's watch. And then that's how he knows. That's, that's clever. I thought that was pretty clever. It did make me, it did make me subtle. I don't, I didn't catch it when I was a kid either. So it's nice watching it now and catching these little things when we're just really analyzing every little moment. So then they're about to walk off on their little safari and Wally tells Dundee he'll be back on Wednesday to get them. Then Dundee looks back at him and says, okay, great. What day is it today? And Wally says, it's Monday. And Dundee's like, okay. And they walk off. It's a great little moment here. And Wally just says to himself, he doesn't know, doesn't care. Lucky bastard. Yeah. Meaning that Dundee doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't care what day it is. He lives his life so carefree that time doesn't matter to him. I I love that. And it's a great kind of description of who the character of Dundee is. So I like that moment. Then I'm going to skip ahead to the New York City scenes. And I'm going to call out this moment. I guess it is a brief scene. You could say there's some fun stuff in this entire scene when Sue takes Mick Dundee to the swanky hotel in downtown New York City. And it's a big high rise and they go to this fancy suite. And there's just some fun stuff because Dundee is like, how many people are staying here? And she's like, it's yeah. just you. And uh, this one, it was a, like, a, I should have put this in one of my earliest memories, actually, because this always stuck out to me is when Dundee goes into the bathroom and he sees the bidet, but he doesn't know what a bidet is. And I, I didn't know what course, a bidet was either. I, and I didn't either. Yeah. This whole movie is just yeah, an education for me as a kid. I didn't even. Yeah. I was like, do they have those really in American hotels? So Sue kind of has to explain it to him and he figures it out eventually. It's a very kind of a, a clever, funny way they do it because Dundee sits on the one toilet and is looking at the bidet, which is directly next to it starts playing with the uh, push buttons there and sends the water, you know, spouting upward. And he kind of puts two and two together and it cuts to Sue getting into the car downstairs outside of the hotel. And from the window way up in the high rise hotel, we see Dundee lean out and yell down towards her. And he says, it's for washing your backside, right? (laughs) She's like, yeah. It's just a funny line to be yelling from a hotel window. Uh, so I, I, I always like that moment. Yeah, I liked that scene also. There's two other things I thought were pretty funny. Um, when they first check in the, the room and the uh, bellhop pairs the room and then he goes over to make, to get the tip. Oh, to get and it. It's like, he just introduces himself. And right. uh, so he's like, no, I got that. I got that. And gives him the money. And then he he's a little bit embarrassed. And then uh, the surprise when he sees the TV in the room and he goes to turn it on. Mm-hmm. And it's I Love Lucy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've only seen the TV once before. And, of course, it's the same thing. Right. That's yeah, which I funny. thought was kind of funny, too, because back then, I mean, I don't think my neighborhood had cable yet. So we were still stuck with five channels. And, yes, I Love Lucy was on all the time. 
It's actually a smart moment, too, because what you would expect as a viewer is that it would be that wow moment that some sort of modern television program would be on in color, of course. And he would be like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen anything right, like be this. Sitting there watching TV the whole time and not doing anything else. Right. It's a common trope used in or device used in many movies. But also, I just wanted to comment. You are absolutely right, Bill, that it's these moments here in the beginning when he's the fish out of water, clearly, and he's learning the ways of the big city and things are brand new to him and it's discovery. And these things we take for granted. You made a, a good point earlier. I just wanted to call that out again, that we are discovering these things along with him and things we didn't really think about until he has to go through it and experience it. We're like, oh yeah, I never really thought about that. What if you didn't know that it was tradition or ritual to tip the bellhop or there would just be a, just a series of awkward moments that you would have to endure the kind of trial by fire, you know, just by going out and getting involved in the city. It could be. Well, that's a funny thing too, going back to the tipping is uh, when I was with the dolphins, we would have a big contingent of people from over from England would come over and they would try to come for a week when we were playing like back-to-back games. And I remember asking them one time, I'm like, what is one of the biggest differences from the U S to England? And that that's the thing they said was tipping. We don't understand why you tip everybody all the time. Like we just expect bad service and you get bad service. We're not giving money to you. Like you're supposed to do your job. Why am I giving you a tip? That made me kind of think about that too. It was, it's, if that's not something you're used to, then why would you do it? Moment that's more funny. poignant yeah. to me. Uh, moving on to moments, of course. I mean, we just have to mention the knife moment. Yeah. It's, it's a very brief. I had it too. Of course. Yeah. Got it. Yep. So Crocodile Dundee and, and Sue are coming, leaving the party. And they're just walking through New York and uh, this gentleman comes up to him and asks them for a lighter and Dundee being who he is very uh, polite and pleasant. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll help you out. And he goes to pull his lighter out and the guy hits the switchblade. He's like, give me your wallet. And then we see the two other dudes show up and you're like, oh man, they're getting mugged here right on the street. What, what are you going to do? And Sue is obviously terrified and Crocodile Dundee just uh, kind of laughs it off and Sue doesn't understand why. Because she's like, oh, he's got a knife. And of course, pulls out that giant Bowie knife, which is literally four times the size of the switchblade the guy has. Yeah, it's a great visual. Yeah. He uses it to cut his sleeve off and they and they run off. And once again, that kind of enforces Sue's heartstrings for Dundee because he says to him, I always feel safe around you. And here demonstrates, too, it's basically three against one. And he handled them with no problem. Kind of a lighthearted way. And it just works. And it, it is one of the most notorious scenes of, of the movie. And like you would see it in every commercial and every trailer for it. And even when it happened in the theater, everyone was still laughing and, and applauding that it happened. Absolutely. So I love when those scenes happen. Everyone's seen this already, but you still react to it. Great moment. Great little scene. And it does endear Sue to Dundee even more because he is playing the role of protector there. And she feels safe with him. And of course, it leads to a nice uh, makeout session afterward. But yeah, it's funny, man. I didn't remember that. Well, first of all, the assailant or would-be assailant who approaches Dundee and Sue, he's got that Michael Jackson leather, like zipper yeah, jacket, jacket, Yep, which is great. I had forgotten that Dundee actually does that quick motion where he does slice up his jacket. Mm-hmm. I thought he just draws the knife and presents it. And that was enough to intimidate the bad guy. But no, he actually does a little 
and slice them up. I'm like, ooh, yep. nice little move. You know, and we know that Dundee is handy with the knife anyway. We saw him kill the crocodile with it. Yep. That was impressive. But yeah, for sure, that's the moment that you think of from this movie. And another moment I wanted to call out, I'm going to go all the way back to the first half because I wanted to correct something I said in the beginning of the podcast was that moment when we see Dundee hypnotize the water buffalo that's blocking the road, the dirt road that they're trying to drive down. And I said that he seduces the water buffalo. What I meant was sub- subdue. He right. subdues the water buffalo. He doesn't yeah. subdue I mean, a totally different the water movie. buffalo. Yes. Okay. Okay. Anywho, moving on. Moving on. That was interesting, though, because you kind of have this perception of who Crocodile Dundee is, and then he does that, and wait a second. I'm glad you brought that up. Does he have some sort of telepathic power, or uh, is he a animal whisperer? Does he have a connection to the wildlife, to the land in some way, or an aboriginal ancestry? So, you know, there's some sort of power that he has, that he, like a gift, like a sixth sense of some kind. I love that stuff. And I actually like that moment too. There's a great, the music is great in that moment. And, and uh, Linda Kozlowski's reaction to him performing that on the water Buffalo, he does the, you can't see at home, but he does basically the, uh, I love you sign. Yeah. I love you and or Aloha thing with his hand, the, you know, and he makes a little, I didn't pick this up before. He makes a subtle noise with his mouth too. And it uh, subdues the water Buffalo and he kind of lies down. Which I was like, oh, he's just now lying in the middle of the road. So he's still kind of blocking the road. But anyway. <laughs> right. Well, it's the uh, road being attacked. But then it goes into the next scene where he has to look at the watch to find out what time it is. So you're like, what's real and what's fake? I mean, is that some kind of power trick he pulls? But then he does exactly. it again with the dogs later the, on. There is a callback to it later, but I'm going to bring that up later on. Because I think, again, when we talk about the third act, which is pretty much missing in the resolution, I thought they could have played into that a little bit more. Anyway, I'll mention that again later. But uh, th- so that is a cool moment. Yeah. When he, uh, when he seduces the water buffalo, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, no. I think that happens in the sequel. Anywho, one of my next favorite scenes is at the Italian restaurant. The Swanky is Swanky or Swanky. Let's go Swanky. Canos, I think. Is, is that what it's called? Something like that. Richard wants, because Sue's back in town, and Richard wants to take her out to their, you know, favorite little Italian spot. And Sue's like, well, make the reservation for three because, yeah, Crocodile Dundee is new in town. And he's, she's not going to abandon him. So to Richard's dismay, of course, uh, Dundee joins them. And they go to the restaurant, and Richard has already stepped up to the bar. He's waiting for them, and he's at the bar. He's had a few. He's had a few pops already. And Dundee and Sue show up. They go and sit at the table. Well, Richard is not happy that Dundee is kind of encroaching upon his territory, or maybe he's just feeling territorial and he's drunk and he makes some jokes at Mick Dundee's expense saying, oh, you probably won't find anything you like on the menu. They don't have any kangaroo and, you know, Mick's no dummy. And so he's picking up on what Richard's putting down. They are about to order. Then Dundee says, you know what? I'll order for us. And Richard, oh, yeah, great. Order. And we see on the menu, of course, everything's in Italian. And Dundee's like, okay, Italian, got it. And he looks up and 
he sees across the way. He's like, oh, I see there's a, a, a fat Sheila across the way that's having something. I might order that. And that distracts Richard for a moment. Richard looks over to see what the woman's eating. And Dundee does this lightning quick motion where he reaches over and basically either punches, elbows, or headbutts. I don't know what, but he strikes Richard somehow, rending him delirious or semi-conscious. I just love the moment. You just hear the just happened so quickly. And I've looked, watched the scene a million times. I don't even see Dundee hit Richard. In no, that I don't moment. either. I don't know what he does. But he does something. And again, it's kind of that mysterious quality that he has. It's like, what did he do? It was something lightning fast. Instead of just knocking him out, Richard, again, is just this delirious. And a credit to uh, Mark Blum, who plays Richard Mason. Richard, he does this great reaction where he's just like, like swerving all over the place. And his head is bobbing up and down. And of course, Dundee is like, oh, yeah, he's just had a little too much to drink. But I love this scene in particular because Richard gets his come up and because he's being a bit of a dick and he needs to be put in his place. Obviously, Dundee is the guy to do that. But it reminded me of a time when I was waiting tables and a girlfriend of mine had come in and sat down with uh, someone she worked with, I believe. But he was a well-to-do gentleman dressed well they were sitting at a two-top together and enjoying some coffee and i waited on them both and she introduced me to him and he felt as if though i was kind of again encroaching on his territory because my girlfriend at that time she wasn't my girlfriend she girl friend very attractive young lady and he was like who's this waiter guy he's your friend what's going on and so he tried to do me when it came to knowledge about coffee and he was just kind of being a little bit of a jerk. You could sense it. Oh, you could, it God, yeah. wasn't like overt, but it was subtle. It was there. And I was like, okay, dude, I'm not trying to do anything here, man. I'm just waiting on you. I'm just here to serve you. And I wanted to punch that guy. And so I love this scene just to see Dundee hit this guy for trying to show him up and embarrass him when it's completely unnecessary. It's a fun scene. I like it. I'll be honest, watching that scene made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Because <laughs> I really felt bad for Mick. Oh, yeah. I mean, Richard is being an ass right up front. With right. him, the whole t- he just starts off right away. I'm like, like, you're not even giving him a chance. And what's the big deal that he comes to dinner? Yeah, I know you haven't seen her in a couple of weeks, but you're going to drop Mick off at the hotel. You'll spend time together afterwards. What's the big deal that you're doing dinner with this guy? Like, if we kind of saw that she was attracted to him like if he saw it like we know it but if he knew it then i can kind of get what he was trying to do trying to hey i'm way better than this guy why are you even thinking about it but right i don't think that happened and i just i just felt really bad i was just like oh the scene's just really uncomfortable for me right now and i was like i'm so glad he got his cup up and yeah that dundee gets his shot in it's great and mm-hmm. then i hate the fact that afterward in the like the cab sue is defending richard She's mad at Dundee for knocking him out or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I get it. He shouldn't have hit him, but still. Yeah. I mean, he should have done it earlier. Right. And not trying to promote violence per right. se. But <laughs> Use your words. Exactly. Yeah. Sue should have said something to Richard earlier. Right. Yeah. By the second comment. Off. Like, yeah. Okay. Let it go. He's a guest. Let's treat him like a guest. Good stuff. Speaking of taxi, Sue, I love the fact that Dundee gets in the front always when he gets into a cab or when he gets into like the limo with Gus. Oh yeah. Cause he's just, he's not used to being chauffeured. Yeah. Like rather just sit up front with the driver. What's the, you know, what's the big deal. That's a subtle thing that I like 
is that he's just more comfortable that way. And he doesn't care. Like he, one other thing I just wanted to point out too, because you, you, again, you, you were just smart in saying earlier where there's just stuff that we take for granted and whatnot. And I think most of us, if we were a fish out of water in a big city like New York, and I, I've been in this situation before too. I remember when I went to visit a girlfriend of mine from college in Puerto Rico. This was, uh, did you know Mariam? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I was so nervous and awkward the whole time. I only spoke a little bit of Spanish and it's intimidating, but I like the way they approach this in this film because Paul Hogan and his charm and the character's charm just doesn't care. He has that carefree attitude. It's like, you can make fun of me and I'll take it, whatever, because he's very confident in himself. Yeah. So it prevents a lot of the overly awkward moments. You don't, outside of that dinner scene, which is awkward. You don't feel bad for Dundee. He wins the moment with his charm. Eventually he wins everybody over, even if he doesn't understand what the hell they're talking about or the situation that he's in. And that makes the movie such an easy, fun watch unto itself. Yeah. And a good example of that. And it's a a moment also is, you know, after the dinner, he kind of goes off with the cab driver they're at the bar and they're drinking and they finish up and the cab driver goes to find the cab because he can't remember where he's parked it because they're both pretty wasted. The cab driver's more wasted than yeah, right. Crocodile Dundee is and he's kind of waiting by the building and we see the two prostitutes. And just the way he just so easily interacts with them has no idea what prostitution is. And one of the prostitutes recognizes who he is and then the pimp shows up. And of course, you know, this is all still new to him. He doesn't understand what the girls are trying to proposition, doesn't understand what this guy is coming over for. He doesn't realize that they're connected. And the fact that they did that bad dumbing when he says, you know, are you going to get with these girls for what? And he knocks him out with that one punch. Right. And then apologizes to the girls. And (laughs) he goes off on the cab. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of a a funny scene. It was kind of a a weird scene, too. You know, even as a kid, I didn't really understand what, like, I knew what they were. I I know what you're saying. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of that in this movie, right? That's what, you know, for Mm -hmm. us coming of age, watching a lot of the movies, whether they are coming of age movies or not, just any movies, we're just being educated. Like I said, it's just, there's just going to be things like our parents couldn't control everything we saw on the screen. They don't right. know what's all, what's going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so these moments crop up and they're a little bit eye opening for somebody like, oh, there's a little nudity or there's uh, prostitutes uh, or there is our drugs. Like I'm sure watching the guy in the kitchen of the house party we see in this uh, New York part of the film uh there's a guy doing blow in the kitchen yes you know and it's like i remember as a kid going i okay i i know of it not entirely familiar with cocaine or how to ingest it oh okay i got that it was funny that although that joke didn't quite pay off i thought that guy was going to stumble out later and be super high as a result of yeah i kind of left you hanging having him put all the cocaine in the the bowl with the boiling water putting a rag over his head like as if he had a cold or something but uh anyway the scene with the prostitutes is funny and again he just plays it he's kind of innocent plays it off he's charming he's great and again like any other fish out of water story but i go back to our 80s movies with like dirty dancing you got jennifer gray who's finished out of water in a moment it's just so awkward in so many moments and you just feel like there some of the moments are even cringeworthy right yeah. you don't get it what's nice about this movie is you don't really get that because 
No. Dundee's kind of a stud. Doesn't matter where he goes. It's like you're not going to embarrass him. He, he just takes it, takes it on the chin. If it is kind of like, oh, he's like, okay, and then he'll say something funny. Yeah, lays it off, diffuses it. Loves life. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the prostitute, there's another moment later on. I had mentioned that uh, swanky party that they go to. Well, we have. Well, Sue has taken Dundee to this fancy party, and I don't even remember why they're there, but. Sue's looking pretty good in that tight red dress. Of course, Dundee is very likable. He's meeting everybody there. And lo and behold, there is Simone, one of the prostitutes that he had met earlier. Yes. I love this line because she's clearly with an older client, if you know what I mean. Yes. It's an older man, but still Dundee doesn't get it. He says to Sue, Oh, yeah, that's Simone. A nice girl. Thoughtful, too. See her dancing there with her father. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> nope, that's that's not her father. But it's just, it's just a fun line. Spe- oh, yeah. that Also, that scene with the prostitutes, when he knocks out the guy, I realized right away, the punching sound effects in this are awesome. Yes. Anytime Dundee punches somebody out, it's amazing. Very it Raiders almost of the Lost rivals the, Thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. The punching sound effects from Indiana Jones. Great stuff. Uh, did you have any other moments and or scenes? I mean, I kind of touched it. It was just the, was the ending. That's the last one I have. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You can take that one. At the very end, we have the, this is the trope, right? Right before one of the, the two love interests. Well, we have a couple here trying to get together. And one of them is about to leave and the other one has to chase them down and get them to them at the last second and profess their love. Well, that happens in this movie, spoiler alert. And it's actually quite nice to see Linda Kozlowski. She can run with the best of them. Yes. Good running. You know, I mean, maybe she went to the Tom Cruise school of running and she takes those shoes off right away and she's running through or by Central Park to get to the subway station where she knows Dundee is about to go on a walkabout while he's about to get on a subway and just wander, wander the country. Uh, Who knows where the the subway is going to take him. And she gets to the subway station, goes down into the station, uh, gets there just in the nick of time. However, the station is jam packed, of course, and Dundee's on the all the way on the other side and she can see him, but she calls out to him, but he can't hear her. Because she's screaming at the top of her lungs, and it's a little awkward. There's a one African American gentleman, a taller gentleman that can see her distraught and, and despairing, and and he says, "What what's up, lady? What do you, what do you need?" And she's like, "The guy with the black hat at the other end. The guy with the black hat. I need his attention." And so he yells towards Dundee at the other end and saying, "Hey, this lady needs to see you," but he still can't hear this guy yelling it. And so there's another guy with a hard hat on, like a construction worker. So he decides to, what did you call it earlier, Bill? Like they're like playing telephone, basically? Or, yeah, uh, the, uh, uh, down the grapevine. Down the grapevine, thank you. And Sue yells out, you know, I'm trying to get his attention, which gets to the, the tall African-American guy who yells it to the guy with the hard hat on, who then yells it to Dundee, and he finally gets the message. And then, of course, Dundee has to pass back his message through the hard hat guy, through the African-American guy, back to Sue. And it goes back and forth a couple of times. And finally, we get Sue gets to say, I love you. I'm not getting married to Richard. That is, you know, we skipped over a bit here, but 
she's not going to marry the bad guy and she's going to get the good guy. And she says, tell, tell him I love him. It's the African story. They act it out. I says, what does he say exactly? I should have wrote this down, but he's like, she wants to tell him I, I love him. And then the guy with the hard hat says to him, I love you. Yeah. I love you. It's great. And then, of course, here's the big moment and the music kicks in. The theme is great. And the theme's been building this whole time. Yeah, I love the music. The music's great here. And we get a little crowd surfing moment. We get Dundee who climbs up and starts walking like on top of the crowd. They help him along the way. Instead of like at at a concert on his back, like crowd surfing, he's actually walking on top of the people and they're helping him to get to uh, Sue at the other end and, and they are reunited and have a big kiss and it just ends live happily ever after. And that's it. That's the end. It's a, it's a heartwarming ending. Yeah. It's funny. Cause leading into that scene. So there's a party at Sue's dad's house and it's a huge, gorgeous house and it's a big dinner and there's maybe 20 some people at the table and out of nowhere, Richard proposes to Sue and she's definitely caught off guard. I didn't realize she never said yes. Right. Yeah. She just kisses them. Everyone gets all excited and it just ends there. And then you kind of see Dundee look over at Sue and she's not looking at him. And then she looks over at him and he's talking to the person that's sitting. You're like, Ooh. And that's when he decides, okay, it's time for me to go on walkabout, which now I'm like, Oh, that would have been a great series. Just just walking around (laughs) from town to town, solving crimes. Yep. But yeah, that's how, kind of how that sets that up. So I was like, yeah, she never said yes. Right. So I found that yeah. interesting. I, I don't think I ever caught that before. That's- I didn't either. I, I For yeah. some reason, I assumed that they were engaged, but yeah. she did not get engaged to Richard. Uh, but speaking of the music, and I'll, I'll just mention that Peter Best did the score for this. And immediately I was like, wait, the original drummer from the Beatles? I did the same thing. I had to look it up to make sure it wasn't <laughs> the same person. No, that's not. It's not Pete Best. It's yes. Peter Best, an Australian composer. Yes. I was like, oh, good for him. He, he did find other work, but no, totally someone different. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so that leads us to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. I love it. I just love the fact you were, you were actually happy for, for Pete Best for a second there. That cracks me up. Good for you, Pete. You found some other work. You just, what a bummer, man. You were so, man. It could have been on top so of the world. Close. The Beatles. And then you went on, you made the best of it. You were scoring movies. Oh, it's not the same guy. Yeah, not. Boop, Sorry, boop. that just cracked me up. All right, so let's move on to, once again, our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? 
Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yeah, so if it doesn't fall into Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. All right, what do you got for some Swiss cheese or complaints? So my Swiss cheese is that there is a 20-minute hole in this plot at the end of the movie. We've discussed it a couple times, but after the dinner at Sue's father's mansion, which you just mentioned, where Richard proposes to Sue, she does not say yes, but it just goes to then... Dundee, who leaves the party, he's bummed. He's got like a bottle of whiskey that was given to him by Gus. You know, so he's drinking away his sorrows in the limo. He's decided to sit in the backseat, actually, for once here. And Gus, played by Reginald Val Johnson, is is there to console him a little bit. They pull over and Dundee gets out and he ends the bottle of whiskey to a homeless man on the side of the street. And then actually encounters a couple of thugs, actually, along with the pimp that he knocked out earlier. Yeah, what are the and chances? they get into like a like a what's that? Yeah, what are the chances going to run to him again? Right. So they get into a little melee, but who comes to the rescue? But our good old Reginald Val Johnson, Gus, he shows up and uses the tail off the back of the limo to as a boomerang to take out the, the, the ridiculous. Moment. Yeah, That's there's a, a lot of weird. That's cir- a weird. Yeah, weird circumstances because yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like how he would use that as a, like how he could use that as a boomerang. So he's down the alley. He gives the mon- liquor to the bum. And then he sees two more prostitutes and thinks there's one of them, Simone. And then the pimp just happens to show up out of the blue. And then these other two thugs who just happen to be waiting in the car come out also. And they're getting the best of Dundee. And then, yeah, Gus comes out of nowhere. Why, why would Gus even come? I don't know. I don't know. It's an awkward, it's a weird sequence. And I don't know if they forced the boomerang aspect in there because does the boomerang have Australian origins? Is that supposed to be? I think so. Because that's why then Dundee says to Gus, he's like, are you sure you weren't part of a tribe at some point? It's a forced moment that is confusing because it just doesn't quite play or make sense. It's not logical. However, my point being is that that happens. And then Dundee goes back to the hotel, packs up, and he's going to leave the hotel and just wander. Uh, he's leaving. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's then he goes to the subway station and we have the finale and Linda uh, Kozlowski shows up and all is well. Wait, what? That's it? From the mansion to... Wait. So there are all the common romantic comedy fish out of water tropes that they didn't take advantage of. As in, where's the competition between Richard and Dundee, the two gentlemen fighting over the lady? Where's Crocodile Dundee trying to win over Sue by maybe trying to be something he's not? Because he's, you know trying to acclimate because that often happens in this type of story. Where's uh, Richard be, like showing his true colors. We know that he drinks too much, but he's kind of a jerk when he drinks too much, but he shows a true color and, or maybe crocodile Dundee wins over Sue's family by using his natural wit and charms and talents and incorporates them into the New York way of living. You know, there's just, there's a lot of, tools or devices in this type of story that they didn't employ. And again, calling back to what you were saying earlier about does Dundee have some kind of inherent ability, whether it be maybe kind of telepathic or he has a little bit of an Aborigine aspect to like a, like a faith to or spirituality that he can employ that ties into the story at somehow some way. Again, just none of that comes into play at all. There's just so many romantic comedies in the 80s that do these certain things that you see 
it's this, like you said, standard three act structure where you have the buildup and then there's an all is lost moment and where the characters learn something about themselves and then come back together and they find out that what they really love about one another and what drew them together in the first place to just be themselves and all of that, right? And actually there's the doorman trope too, where usually in a movie like this, uh, the doorman's underused. Correct. He's barely, you think, I kept thinking, when does Dundee really form like a relationship with the hotel doorman? Yes. Because he keeps coming in and out. It's very superficial. It doesn't really play. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things. Could have done is maybe later on the party that Richard says something to Dundee at the party and then your classic Sue overhears and then that she's like, oh yeah, um, this is not the guy I'm supposed to be with. Because it's weird, too, because when she goes, you know, she calls the room and they say, you know, he's checking out. So she takes the limo and her dad's in the limo. So she somehow explains it to her dad because the dad says, are you sure you want to do this? And she's like, yes, that would have been nice to have that conversation or the father understanding why she's going to do this. Yeah, that was totally out of the blue. That moment was like it was unearned. Yes. That whole part. Yeah, that little part. It was so brief and it was like. Oh, no, we're missing something here. There was no lead up to the father saying, are you sure you want to make this decision? Mm -hmm. Even if before the marriage proposal, if we have Sue, who's clearly attracted to Dundee in the outback, but then when she brings him to New York City, sees that he is truly a fish out of water and that maybe she has certain needs and is looking for a man that is more acclimated to her way of life, to her high speed, maybe uh type A high level functioning, living in the city type of lifestyle that he could never acclimate to. And the relationship just isn't going to work. So she's going to settle for Richard who checks those boxes for her because that's how she lives. She's a city girl and she needs a city guy, but then figures out that that's not everything. That could be one aspect that could have played into it, that they could have fleshed out a little bit just from Sue's perspective yeah, that's a good point, that too, because you don't really see them confirm. Once they get to New York, outside of the knife scene where he saves them from getting mugged, they don't really interact that much. They don't have that interaction scene where that would grow their bond. I mean, they go to the party and they don't really do. She kind of observes him, but not. he doesn't do anything there at the party that you're like, oh, OK, that's what's attractive to her for him. Right. Everything is unearned at the in the end because... We don't, yeah, like you said, yeah, we just don't really see them coming together and really consummating the relationship. And I don't mean just intimately, but just really forming an actual bond over whatever events that have transpired. Instead, what we get is, unfortunately, this film actually makes Sue look like a total flirt with both. She's playing both sides. She's making out with Richard. She's making out with Dundee. She can't make up her mind. And that she's leading them both on and then just out of the blue chooses Dundee at the end, literally out of the blue. That's how it feels. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that's just a big plot hole, just coming full circle. That's my big Swiss cheese moment. Yeah. Cause you think about it too, you know, Dundee's hitting on the transvestite. He's kind of flirting with the prostitutes. Like we're not even sold that he's that interested in Sue. I'm not going to fight for her. Yeah. He seems to accept it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. For a while there. Yeah good swiss cheese there just my complaint sue's fashion choices throughout the movie made no freaking sense to me (laughs) yeah it's like she really loves the scarves 
Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever met anyone that that young that wears scarves as much as she does. And then especially when they're in the outback, like um, you might want to cover up a little bit. Um, your footwear sucks. You're doing all this hiking in flats. Right. Yeah. Not. Yeah. I just always thought choice. she was dressed strange. I agree. I agree. I mean, even though that, you know, that red dress was kind of sexy, I still thought it was a weird dress. It's a little bit too much. And if my date is wearing that dress and taking me out to a party, I'd be like, what are you, what are you saying with this dress? Yeah. Look, I understand. Look, Hey, ladies, you have every right to wear whatever the hell you want. And if it makes you feel good and it looks good and you wear it, I'm all for it. Uh, you own that. It felt like she was doing that for him, wearing yes. that for him, look wanting to look good for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I just I just thought her clothes around seems so weird. It's just like I, yeah, that's a good call. Seems like eighties, it yeah, fashion. strange fashion. Yeah, choices yeah, there for her. Very strange. Uh, that's good stuff, man. Hey, man, back in the outback, or when she, the the big crocodile scene was she gonna drink that water from the creek? Oh, I was I was thinking at this time too. She's I'm like filling, the whole scene, you know, happens because she goes to fill her canteen with the water. Yeah, and that water is muddy. Yeah. And I was going, I, she better, is it, uh, my sister's going to kill me. I should know this because we've gone hiking and camping. And is it iodine that you use to clean the water? Add, I think it's iodine or something uh, that gets the- uh, Kills the impurities. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It was funny because I think I literally saw an ad today or yesterday for one of those like drinking straws that you can put right in the water and it's supposed to filter out all that stuff. And I'm like, you couldn't even pay me to use that thing. No way. Yes. Iodine water purification. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, because I, I was like, oh, that's disgusting. I hope she's not going to, she's not really going to drink the water like that. Yeah. He should have jumped in with the, with the knife and just stabbed the canteen. <laughs> you can't drink that. Yeah. That's like stagnant water. Gross. And as we, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I did think the same thing you were thinking that time when, oh God, that's gross. That crocodile, that crocodile saving your life slash alligator is saving your life by fighting that maybe that's why he jumped out of the water like hey you shouldn't be drinking that the crocodile was actually trying to save her not kill her yes we've been oh, looking at this man. wrong this whole time wow what a twist on this yeah. story yeah you drank you could have got dysentery no. and died this is a real discovery here yeah uh and by the way if i were there in the outback i get nervous about this stuff man in a place where i've never been before and we've got snakes and guanas or whatever they're called uh, out running around out there i'm not sleeping on the ground i don't know not in a sleeping bag not in anything i'm not on the ground i agree with you 100 percent. there's got to be a layer between my sleeping bag or 10 layers between my sleeping bag and the ground or i'm elevated somehow in a tent in a structure because i'm spiders creepy crawlies anything i don't know out out there way the hell out there yeah i don't even want to think about it but as soon as they're sleeping on the ground out there, I was like, no way in hell. I would be literally sleeping in in the sleeping bag. The zipper would be closed all the way. Yeah, sealed tight. Granted, she does like zip it all the way up around, but I'm like still not. Still not I'm enough. On the, I'm not going to be on the ground. I thought the same thing. I'm like, there's no way I'd be sleeping on the ground like that. No, thank you. Oh, this has always driven me up the wall about the movie. And I still free frame this scene all the time. It's in the outback. And it's a scene where the poachers, well, they're not really poachers. The hunters are going after the kangaroos. The roo shooters. Yes, the roo shooters are going after the kangaroos. And then you have that one hunter who's doing the really bad Dudley Moore author accent. And he sees the kangaroo and he's going to shoot it. And then he's like, oh, the kangaroo's got a rifle. Right. 
I freeze that scene all the, I don't see the rifle with the kangaroo until the third shot. Like when you see he's looking through the scope and he says, oh my God, it's got a gun. There's no gun. Right. Yeah. There's some, there's some gaffes there in that entire sequence with that. It drives me at the And wall. the kangaroo is clearly not, we're led to believe that Dundee used the carcass of a dead kangaroo, but it's not, it's, it's clearly like a stuffed kangaroo that yes. he's holding up in front of him. And I guess it according to the, the trivia and one of the bloopers is that the flare from the gunshot comes from the wrong side of the kangaroo, actually, from where the actual gun is that he's holding. Oh, okay. Like it's it's all that's that scene is all screwy. I don't see the gun. I didn't either. You're absolutely right. Until the third shot, I finally saw like the muzzle of the, the yeah. rifle. Wait, I see the kangaroo, but I don't see the gun that he's yelling about. Mm-hmm. That's a good call. When they get back to New York and they're off the plane and Sue goes right up to Richard and is kissing him. I got pissed, man. I'm, tr- I'm old school, man. I'm kind of traditional. I'm just like, Sue, you just, you were just making out with our guy Dundee. And now we get over to New York and you just, you're just flipping going back to Richard. And I was like, is Dundee right there watching this? Isn't he going to be a little confused, but he got stuck in customs. And so I guess he missed that point. Mm-hmm. Technically Richard's her boyfriend and it's not as if he, she's going to just walk up to him and be like, hey, while I was on this remote gig in Australia, I fell in love with Dundee. I, she probably wasn't going to just break it to him there. No. I, don't, I, I just thought that was kind of awkward. I don't know. I was just mad. Yeah. I was I was on Dundee's side already there. I was like, oh, good for you, man. She's falling for you. Not so much. Smoking in the elevator? Come on. Yeah, I, I have. I, yep. That's exactly what I put. Yeah. I was like, Granny's probably never been in an elevator before, but don't light up when you're walking to a tiny room like that. Come on, secondhand smoke. Just gave all these people lung cancer. Smoking on airplanes back then, man. I know. Do you remember? I remember that. The ashtrays and the armrests? Yeah. Yep. That was a thing. Mm -hmm. Smoking in an elevator. Carrying a Bowie knife just on the the street, walking amongst the crowd. I thought that was kind of cool. I guess I, I don't know if there's a law against that. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because I remember because my dad used to work at a grocery store. He would literally always be carrying a box cutter with them. And I remember going through airport security and be like, oh, what is that box cutter? And they would just let him through to the gate. And yeah, that's certainly no, no now. Yeah. Yeah. That's about all I had. Yeah. And again, I'll just call this out there as, you know, the bar scene with the transsexual, we have a crotch grabbing moment and a gay slur. It's a tough look for the movie at that moment. So. Right. Uh, that is definitely a complaint. Yeah, that would have to be reworked. Speaking of the scene with the prostitutes that uh, is actually following that particular scene out in the street, I found it amusing very much so. But I also was thinking, wait, are there no prostitutes in Australia? Is he that isolated out there in, in walkabout? I would think so. Yeah. Maybe if he visited Sydney or you know one of the major cities, I'm sure it's around. Yeah. It's part of the conceit of this movie, right? Is that he is that naive. Mm-hmm. We, so we just have to go with it. All right. Yeah. I, again, was just pissed with Sue. She's flirting with Mick and she's still with a boyfriend. I get mad. She's so sexy too, man. When she's posing as Rosita, she's delivering the bath towels to oh, yeah. Dundee while he's in the bathtub. She's doing the thing with her leg Senior wrapped me. around the, the doorway there. Uh, yeah. That's pretty hot, but I was pissed at the same time. Like, stop flirting with him. If you're with Richard, stop flirting with him like that. Yes. He's naked in the tub and you're pulling that. Mm -hmm. What's Dundee supposed to think? Damn it. Hey, do do we just assume that Mick Dundee 
has got money on him. He had plenty of money to pay for everything when he was go- walking around. I mean, I guess the Italian, the Italian guy, he who was the cab driver, was buying the rounds at the bar. Maybe I don't know. I just didn't know how Mick was getting money to pay for stuff. I guess he got maybe got paid for the safari. Yeah, maybe they gave him a little per diem. Anyway, uh, that's just a dumb nitpicky thing. Yeah, just side side comment, man. He was pounding martinis this whole movie. He was throwing them back. Dundee likes likes his martinis. Yeah, I just took him as a beer drinker, but he so I mean, went in Rome, I suppose. That was that was the drink. I agree. Nineteen eighty six, New York City. Ah, uh, yeah, that's it, man. My Swiss cheese and my complaints to All be right. issued. Let's also move on to hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's hey, it's that actor. Not a lot of choices in this one. No, and I went with one of the main characters, actually. Oh, okay. For me, it was a hey, it's that actor. I didn't know his name offhand. I've just seen him a million times in a million different movies. And that is Mark Blum, who plays Richard. He's a very recognizable character actor. He He's a great jerk. And so, yes, he plays Richard Mason, the editor of the Newsday publication and Sue's boyfriend. Yeah, Richard Mason, great character actor who worked through the 80s and all the way through 2020 when he unfortunately passed away at the age of 69. And according to IMDb, that was due to complications with COVID-19. Yeah, super sad. So he goes back to even before Crocodile Dundee in 85, he was in Desperately Seeking Susan, which I'm sure if Bill's wife, if your wife Hillary is listening, she probably is like, yeah. He plays Gary. He's Gary Glass in Desperately Seeking Susan. Obviously, using Crocodile Dundee. He was in Blind Date as Denny Gordon. He was in uh, The Presidio. Plays a character named Arthur Peel. That's The Presidio we'll eventually have to do on this podcast. I'm a fan of that film. Oh, yeah. But, hey, you know what else he was in? I mean, it's the 80s. In 1987, that's right. He was on an episode of Miami Vice. He plays the character Sid Schenker. In the episode entitled Contempt of Court. Anyway, Mark Blum, R.I.P. Yeah, he's great in this. He's a great, you know, great jerk, great character actor. And uh, yeah, just worked on numerous, numerous television shows all through 80s, 90s. Oh, and uh, yes, he was also had a good run on The Sopranos. Oh, okay. I couldn't place him, so appreciate it. Um, So I went with Irving Metzman, who played the doorman, because the voice I knew I was like, I know I've heard this voice before and I couldn't place it. But uh, so a couple other films that he was in, uh, he played the theater owner in the Purple Rose of Cairo, which we just mentioned in uh-huh. our there you go. flops uh, episode. He was Mr. Bundles and Annie. And so I think the movie that most of us would know him from is he was Richter in War Games. It's just running a simulation to stop it. Oh, wow. Sure. I can see that. Yeah. Right. So. Irving, he had a goatee in War Games. So I think that's why I never placed that he was in that movie before. And I think he's a little bit heavier in War Games. Right. But yeah. yeah so yeah, the see, Richter who kind of, yeah, the one who kind of oversees the Whopper. That's it. Yeah. So that's our, hey, it's that actor. All right. So let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have about Crocodile Dundee? The Sydney Harbor Bridge is shown in the beginning of the movie from the hotel window while Sue is on the phone to New York. As it so happens, Paul Hogan, the man, helped paint that bridge before he started his life as an actor. He was like a rigger on the bridge. 
Right. He was not a painter. He was just a rigger. He's said to have kept his co-workers laughing a good bit. Yeah, I actually found a picture of him online working on the bridge back in the day. Wow. He was in his 20s. So people, people look for the bidets at the Plaza Hotel. So tourists specifically asked for Mick Dundee's room and made phone calls to the Plaza Hotel asking for the rooms with the bidet. The hotel, oh, however, that's great. doesn't have rooms with bidets. And the one in the film was built on a set by the movie crew specifically. There you go. That's funny. Because you kind of asked about that earlier. Do they have bidets? For some reason as a kid, I don't know why I assume this. I thought that was a foreign thing, meaning like a European thing, maybe. That's what I thought, too, yeah. Did you know that Melissa Joan Hart originally appeared in this film as a little girl in Central Park whose cut on her knee gets healed by Mick? But I guess the scene was shot, but ultimately deleted. Yeah, and supposedly destroyed because I don't think we've ever seen it. That would have been interesting to see that. Yeah. But then, yeah, that would have been weird too. Cause I would have had like, now he's got healing mystiques. He's like ET. <laughs> he can heal. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so yes, the movie was shot on location in Australia, New York. Um, among the Australian locations was Kakadu national park, which is about the size of Germany gained so much notoriety that the park offered crocodile Dundee tours after the movie came out. And um, while they were filming there at the park, because there were no hotels nearby, the crew had to live in uh, dilapidated huts. So, and then there was an armed guard at all times to make sure um, real wildlife did not cause any problems to the crew on set. In New York, um, they shot at Vasek's Bar in the East Village, uh, which was also in The Godfather Part Two, and Rent. And the New York Hotel Room uh, is a $900 suite at the New York Plaza Hotel. And uh, the hotel was also featured in the movies North by Northwest and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Cool. Hey, that water buffalo that Mick Dundee seduced or subdued, or in this case, because I'm reading everything. This is all I, I got most of this from IMDb. So I'm reading a lot of this verbatim credit to IMDb. The buffalo that Mick Dundee pacified was drugged. I don't know if that's totally true. That's what it said. Yeah. And they said it took a, a one full day of shooting to shoot that scene because, you know, you're working with animals and it was a stubborn Buffalo. Hmm. Well, this is, uh, I'm going to try, I'm going to read this quickly and I don't know how much of this is true. However, Despite Paul Hogan's insistence that Crocodile Dundee was his own creation, it was later revealed that the real-life inspiration for the character was Bushman Rod Ansel. Rod Ansel became popular in Australia in 1977 with his boat capsized during a solo hunting expedition, and he had to spend two months trapped in the wilderness. He survived by drinking cow blood, sleeping with snakes, and occasionally fighting and decapitating the odd crocodile. During a later BBC interview about his adventure... Ansel mentioned that the hotel they'd put him up in was very nice, but he had decided to sleep on the floor. Same same thing happens in the movie, right? Yep. Oddly enough, it was this little detail, not any of the animal fighting stuff that inspired Crocodile Dundee. Unfortunately, Ansel didn't see a cent from the use of his story and his life and marriage fell apart and he eventually developed a drug habit, which culminated in a shootout with police officers killing one of them. Some say he was driven mad due to his exclusion from the success of the Crocodile Dundee movies. The production company even banned him from starting his own Crocodile Dundee tour. I think I read also certainly variations of that story, but I think he did try to sue Paul Hogan mm-hmm. uh, for stealing the story. And no, the court did not 
see his case. So he lost. So that didn't help either. And I did see a little bit in the research that Hogan has had to repeatedly state that Crocodile Dundee isn't a real person. It was something he had imagined and created that it was loosely based on. I think he mentioned some, it is, it is loosely based on someone, but not Rod Ansel. Right. But supposedly he had visited New York and thought it was. Oh, right. That's where he'd gotten the inspiration. Yes. That's how he'd gotten the inspiration for the, the overall concept of the fish out of the water story. Yeah. That's all I have. (laughs) Okay. So the mechanical crocodile slash alligator that was used in the film cost $45,000 to make. Damn. That's a lot of money on a croc alligator. Yeah, Paul Hogan uh, won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in the yeah, right? motion picture for Crocodile Dundee. Kudos to him. It's cool. Uh, this was kind of funny with when, you know, being a writer and sometimes you don't know how things are going to translate from the page to the screen. So there was three writers on Crocodile Dundee. One of the writers did not think the uh, knife line was funny. He didn't think it was going to work. And that's the most iconic scene from the movie. So that's kind of funny how that. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things being a writer too. You like you go back correcting and tweaking all the time. That it gets to a point where you don't even know what you're doing is correct or or wrong. When I read that, I was like, oh yeah, I've kind of been there before. All right, uh, so let's move on to box office. Uh, Crocodile Dundee was released on September 26, 1986, on an estimated budget of 8.8 million dollars. It grossed 174.8 million dollars domestically and 153.4 internationally for a worldwide gross of 328.2 million dollars damn it debuted number one at the box office playing at only 879 theaters and held on to the number one spot for nine consecutive weeks it would finally be knocked out of the number one spot by star trek for the voyage home and it would stay in the top 10 for another 15 weeks crocodile dundee was the second Highest domestically grossing movie in the U.S. only behind Top Gun. Yep. Yeah, I think we're we're probably the only podcast that's not done a Top Gun episode in the last six weeks. That's okay. We'll get to it at some point. Uh, So moving on to reviews. When growing up in the early '80s, we'd watch Cisco and Ebert and the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Crocodile Dundee was unanimous. Two thumbs down. Gene found the movie to be too predictable and Roger found no chemistry between the two leads. Roger, however, thought audiences were going to like it. Siskel and Ebert revisited the movie two months later after the movie took off at the box office. Ebert thought the movie was doing well because of Paul Hogan's likability and the movie's perception of what America is like from an outsider's perspective. Gene thought Crocodile Dundee was a movie that catered to the over 40 crowd who finally had a reason to come to the theaters. So that takes us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about Crocodile Dundee? Hey, do you know what the difference is between a crocodile and a alligator i know what they are but i i don't think if i saw one i would be like oh yeah that's a crocodile or that's a it's usually has to do something with the the roundness of the snout you got it that's the first thing well one of a few things that can differentiate 
between a crocodile and an alligator, uh, the shape of the snout. In alligators, it's broad and U-shaped, while in crocodiles, it's narrow and V-shaped. Next are the teeth. In the case of alligators, the lower teeth are typically not visible when the mouth is shut. That's why when you can see that that crocodile, which is not a crocodile in the attack scene uh, early in the film, when the mouth is shut, you yes. can't see its lower teeth, which means that, yeah, that's an alligator. And yeah. it, it does have the more rounded U-shaped snout. Um, another difference is color. If it's gray or black, it's probably a gator. If it's olive or tan, it's probably a crocodile. Crocodiles are usually found in saltwater habits, while alligators prefer freshwater areas. Crocodiles are typically more aggressive than gators. So there's some differences for you. And I, I believe on the whole, crocodiles are typically larger, just by a few feet, typically on average, a little bit larger than gators. So did you have any other additional thoughts? Um, just questions. No, not necessarily. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's ask some questions then. All right. Have you ever seen or used a bidet? I have not. Yeah, same here. I've never seen one or used one. Well, of course, if I haven't seen one, then I haven't used one. So yeah, same with me. I have not. And I've imagined or tried to imagine how it would work. I'd like to keep it clean just as much as the next guy, I hope. But that seems like that could be a, a that's a could be a sensitive situation with that water shooting and up like that. I was always wondering, like, how does that? Yeah, I, I would think it would kind of jump. So I, I would need to read the tutorial on that. Do the bidets come with an instruction manual? I would hope so. It or something like that. Is it next to the Gideon Bible in the in the next to the bed? Yes. I, I think it's a great idea. Like I said, yeah, you know, cleanliness, hygiene, all for it. Yeah, why not? It's a great question, man. I love it. <laughs> hey, man, here's a question just regarding the movie. So they lead, lead us to believe that it is possible that Dundee is a poacher, meaning the Rue shooters hanging out in the Walkabout Creek Saloon allude to it, but he denies it, of course, and knocks one of them out. Uh, the gun shells are, that are found by the boat. Yeah, I should have put that under my shells. complaints. I was like, what are the chances all those shells would have still been in the boat? And Dundee just says, oh, no, no, I'm I'm a fisherman. I don't hunt because that's illegal. But that question is never properly answered. We don't really get an answer to that because he kind of dodges. He's a little bit dodgy when it comes to that, right? I would say he's a poacher. That was my question. So do you think he's a poacher? Yes, I do. Okay. Hey, man. There are a lot of movies featuring crocodiles and or alligators. Are you ready for this, man? Go ahead. Because we're going to talk about the best movie or what you might think is the best movie. I haven't seen half of these or three quarters of these. I'll let you do the list, but, but I do love 1980s Alligator. Yeah. I've, I've never seen it. Oh, it's a fun one. Yeah. I mean, it's a B movie, but it's good. I want to say I actually got this from Screen Rant. This is a top 20 ranking. And I'm not going to say it in, in order, okay. but look it up on Screen Rant. I believe it's from 2021. We can put it in the show notes. Um, So I'm going to go in chronological order instead of ranking. Okay. So we have, have Eaten Alive from 1976, directed by Toby Hooper. Oh, I've seen that one. Okay. Uh, Texas Chainsaw. Massacre fame. not that great. Alligator, 1980, as you mentioned. Yes. We have Crocodile Dundee in 86. Okay. Uh, Dark Age in 1987. And uh, I can't think of the actor's name, but the gentleman the, who played Nev, the Aborigine, who's uh, 
Dundee's right. buddy. He's in Dark Age. Oh, never heard of that one. Yeah. I wanted to throw out uh, Hook, a little Peter Pan. Yeah. Right. Anyone? Lake Placid, a yes. cult classic for many, many, many people. 1999. Yeah, little Betty White. That's a fun one. She's the, she Fonda. steals the show. Yes. Yeah. Bridget Fonda. I'm, I don't, yeah, I don't Oliver care. Platt. Watch anything she's in. Yes, right. And my man, Bill Pullman. Yep. Killer Crocodile in 1989 and Killer Crocodile 2 in 1990. Then there's just Crocodile in 2000 and Crocodile 2 Death Swamp in 2002. There's Rogue in 2007. Black Water. Okay. Black Water is also in 2007. It's a big year for alligator slash crocodile movies. There's Primeval in 2007. Oh, maybe I saw that one. Yeah, I think I've actually seen a lot of that one. That has Orlando Jones in it. Some of these I do actually want to go check out. These are supposedly pretty good movies, actually. Then here's a not a very good movie, though. Rampage from 2018. Oh. That's a, a rock. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. Haven't seen that one yet. I actually watched it just to be like, oh, this will be my guilty pleasure for this evening. Right. It's no. Anyway. And then this one is highly acclaimed, and I still have never seen it. It is produced by Sam Raimi. Crawl, right? You got it. Crawl in 2019. That was a fun one. And then uh, there is the sequel to Blackwater, Blackwater Abyss in 2020. I've seen that. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot to mention one. Miami Vice, the movie. (laughs) Elvis, the pet alligator of Metro Day detective James Sonny Crockett, a former mascot for Crockett's alma mater, University of Florida Gators. He was retired after biting a free safety from the University of Georgia. Crockett took him in as the resident drug sniffer and watch gator of his boat, the St. Vitus Dance. And then there's the uh, famous scene from Live and Let Die, when you have Roger Moore run across the... Right, right, of course. Or or crocodiles. I I can't remember what it is. I'll have to look at the snouts again. Now I'll know for sure. (laughs) Look at the color, look at the snouts, look at the teeth. Okay, so my last question. Favorite fish out of water movie? I'm just going to put you on the spot. Do you need some suggestions or? Yeah, sure. Okay. We got coming to America. Oh yeah. Austin Powers, Borat, Wizard of Oz, big back to the future. Maybe something not on that list. Wow. That's good stuff. I mean, back to the future. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many of these. I should be thinking of some others off the top of my head, but from that list alone, I, I would probably choose coming to America. I think that's a great, movie. I, that movie cracks me up. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Coming to America would definitely be a strong answer. I might go Austin Powers. Yeah. Off of that list. That's pretty amazing. Are you, are you friends with, or do you know any Australians? No. Yeah. Me neither, man. I knew a couple of exchange students in college at UM in Miami that and they were, just like every, because that's another cliche kind of thing. It's like, oh, they're, they're just the friendliest people in the world. And these guys were the greatest. They were so funny. They were amazing. Just good dudes. Lived across like the way and uh, eaten in the dorms for a bit. Drank a lot. Played guitar. Mm-hmm. Totally carefree. Hilarious. Great accent. All that good stuff. But yeah, I, I don't happen to be friends with an Australian. I l- freaking love the accent, though. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to work on that. I need some Australian friends. That that I'm a complete sucker for is like a girl with an Australian accent. I'm done. Like I just would, I melt. So Nicole Kidman. Yeah, there you go. 
I was going to ask you if you were to do a walkabout, where would it be? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, maybe I'd just go up to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to go on a real journey because of walkabout, it, like if you look up the definition of walkabout, it does have like Aborigine roots, but just general walkabouts, just kind of like walking around, collecting your yourself and, and your thoughts and finding your way there. I, I, I just go to any kind of, I love old town areas, a small mountain town that has like an old town strip. Although San Diego has a great old town. I love just walking around old town areas. Mm -hmm. But when you hear walkabout, you kind of think like, like uh, Dundee says, you know, you went on an 18 month walkabout through the outback. That's a, that's a journey. Yeah. I don't know if I'd feel safe going anywhere else right now. So I was like, "Eh, Canada might be pretty safe. I'll do there during the summer months though. Hey man, you spent a lot of time in Miami, my friend. Had you seen or had any run-ins with any alligators? Yes. So a couple friends, we would go camping. Yeah, we did it like a yearly thing for like three or four years. And we'd take canoes out. Yeah, there was, there was alligators around. And you had to kind of be a little bit careful. Um, yeah. Luckily, they never came into the camp area. But yeah, once uh, you go canoe in the lake, yeah, you'd see them out there. You'd just keep your distance. Sure. And then um, the fun thing was, so if you're going from the... Um, get this right so the east coast of the west coast of florida there's a highway and it's literally called alligator alley right right and um it's a it's a two 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 lanes each way or might be one way in certain parts and there's literally a fence that goes the whole side of the highway because um it's all swamp land out there if we were doing stuff for the dolphins and we'd be in the, the truck so you'd be higher up I really learned how to spot alligators on the drive because you would just kind of pick a point while you're driving and just kind of follow it. And I remember one time I saw at least seven on the drive wow. across and it's, uh, it's about a 40 mile stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time we were coming back, we were playing the Buccaneers in a preseason game and we were driving back right after the game. And it was um, me and a couple of our game day crew. And then we had some of the cheerleaders in the other car. And uh, yeah, there was a uh, alligator carcass right in the middle of the middle of the road. Oh shit! Somehow yeah. got through the fence. Uh, luckily, we saw it and didn't hit it. But yeah, it got it must have got crushed by a truck because it was pretty flat. Oh gosh! Yeah, Jeez. poor guy didn't make it very far. But yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of alligators in my time. Yeah, yeah, and I guess they, we don't get. I mean, crocodiles usually in the states, right? But I yeah, suppose outside of the zoo, the southernmost tip of Florida, they do exist. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's all I got, man. Do you have any other questions? No, that was Thoughts? it. No, no. Let's uh, move on to recommendations. Um, do we recommend Crocodile Dundee? I do, man. I recommend it. It's such an easygoing movie. It's such an easy watch. It moves very quickly and it is, it's fun and it's funny. I didn't find it necessarily uh, as a, a, like a gut burster laugh out loud movie, but Paul Hogan is extremely charming as Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. I, you know, despite what Siskel and Ebert might say, I thought he did actually have some chemistry with uh, Linda Kozlowski. I think it happens a little bit more in the first half of the movie, but uh, I enjoy her in the film. And yeah, when he goes to New York, there's just a, there's some fun bits, fun bits of business. And I think it's a good family watch. This could be a very, this is a family friendly movie. Uh, if it were watched like edited for TV with some of the uh, 
stuff that does doesn't quite work or hold up uh edited out i would you know be good to yeah, watch it's it about five way. minutes of stuff you need to cut out of it yeah that's no longer appropriate uh, it was never appropriate by the way so i do recommend it it's a good comedy and uh has a lot of yeah history it it made paul hogan who he is yeah as far as uh, the film culture goes for for us so yes i i do recommend it how about you bill yeah, I re- recommend it also for many of the reasons that you said, and I must feel like I'm going to be rehashing them. This movie really does ride on the shoulders of Paul Hogan. Absolutely. And um, he is very likable in this movie. And um, just the way he kind of goes through, especially the New York stuff, like you said, just his demeanor, um, it's just positive attitude. And um, you want to live like him. You yeah. want to be, you do want to be him. I did. I was like, oh, man, I wish I was kind of more like that. Where you just yeah, kind of, yeah. you just, you just roll with it and enjoy it and just uh, enjoy life. But yeah, even listen, you talk about, you think so much about the second half, but I think the story is actually develops a lot more in the first half. You see definitely more of the chemistry between uh, Dundee and Sue in the first half. Right. Kind of wish right. did carry over to the second half. Agreed. But yeah, I would I would certainly recommend it. Yeah, I don't think there's guffaw laugh moments. It's uh, it's just an enjoyable, fun film, and like it, it is a quick film. It it does go by really fast, and it is only ninety seven minutes. So right. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Cool. Guess what? I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. A quick request from us here at the All 80s Movies Podcast. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. Those subscribes and reviews really help us to continue producing the show. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at All 80s Movies Podcast, or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. Washing your backside, right?